I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles now to the book of Colossians. Our scripture reading is Colossians uh, chapter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version translation. The Apostle Paul writes these words to the believers at Colossae. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for what it tells us, because we know that you are the God who has brought us to salvation in your Son, and we are grateful for that. And now, Father, we pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to understand your truth as we spend time considering it that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your word in accordance with your word, always grounded in your word, and that we might learn from you. Even as Epaphras taught to the Colossians the truth that it is in Jesus, we pray even now that we would be taught by the message, but above all by your spirit and the word, the truth as it is in Jesus. For his sake, for his glory, in his name, amen. You know, the emphasis uh, during this month, as we have started this new year, has been to think about um, the fact that we ought to consider ourselves as Christians ordinary. Um, and the reason we ought to consider ourselves ordinary is because God counsels us through his word to never esteem ourselves more highly than we ought but in, in esteeming ourselves as, as rather ordinary human beings. Remember, those who are saved, the Apostle Paul said, not many were wise, 
not many wealthy, not many powerful, not many. God has chosen the weak and foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So to be ordinary in that sense is to see ourselves as, as perfectly poised to be used of God, to be those who are ordinary, even weak and foolish, in order to confound the wisdom of the world. So we ought to see ourselves that way. At the same time, we need to recognize that we ordinary people who are believers have no ordinary purpose in life. We have a most extraordinary purpose. And that most extraordinary purpose is that we exist ultimately in order to bring God glory. There's no higher purpose at all. It's even God's own great purpose for himself. God glorifies himself. He glorifies himself in our salvation we glorify Him in our walk with Christ in our salvation. It's an extraordinary purpose. And as we looked at the beginning of the month, really New Year's Eve, we were able to see in Scripture that that whole process of glorifying God is to be found in, well, knowing Christ and serving Christ and worshiping God in and through Christ. That, that the life that we've been called to live is that kind of a life. We've also been reflecting on the fact that in the Old Testament, we were given a message in the book of Ecclesiastes uh, by Solomon that one who believes in God and yet chooses to live life on the horizontal, one who chooses to live, yeah, God exists, but I'm going to pursue the things of this life. We see this in Solomon. He pursued wealth. He pursued wine. He pursued women. He pursued all of those earthly kinds of things that men who live only for this life and for this world routinely, for thousands and thousands of years, have sought. He had a horizontal-centered perspective, and that's what the book of Ecclesiastes brings to our attention. What did it give him? He announces at the very beginning, vanity, vanity, emptiness, emptiness. And so we learn a negative kind of lesson, but a very significant lesson out of the book of Ecclesiastes. That if we believe in God, yet choose to live our lives on the horizontal plane, if we choose to live for the things of this life, we will invariably wind up feeling empty inside. We will invariably wind up feeling the vanity of life. We will invariably wind up thinking life has no real meaning and purpose. And that's why the conclusion to the book of Ecclesiastes is Jesus Christ. It's in Christ that we realize we have the most extraordinary purpose. And so this month we've been fleshing out what it means to live out this extraordinary purpose of, of, of knowing Christ and serving Christ and worshiping Christ. And so we've been focusing upon the basic biblical components of worship. You know, that which we follow every week, a pattern that we find in Scripture, repeated to us often in many different ways, that worship, if you're going to organize it in particular parts, worship is the adoration of God for the greatness of who God is. It's the confession of our sinfulness before God in the light of the gospel, in the light of what God has done for us. And then it's thanksgiving, which is what we're going to be looking at today, so I won't jump into my sermon yet. And then there's supplication. Those main components of worship is what God has given to us, and it's an extraordinary purpose. 
If a believer is faithful to what he knows, he never has to live a day that does not contribute to his own ultimate purpose in life. Every day. Why? Because every day you can glorify God. Because every day you can do something of adoration. You can do something of confession. You can do something of thanksgiving. You can do something of supplication. Those things which worship God, those things which bring Him glory. So the practicalness of what we're looking at is profound. Because we live in a day and age in which, well, the big cry of the millennials is we have no anchor. We have nothing to hang on to. We have nothing that's solid. Everything's changing. You know, if you're 35 years old, from the time you were 20 to the time you were 35, you have seen an extraordinary amount of cultural change. You, you, you can't anchor things into what you thought 10 years earlier because society doesn't look at it that way anymore. But if you're a Christian, if your life is grounded on the rock, nothing's changed. Nothing at all. Your life still has an extraordinary purpose that has not changed. And it will not change. And you can, you can hold on to that and believe that my life has been called to Christ to know Him and to serve Him and to worship Him and through that live out this incredible life of giving God the glory. Now this morning we're coming into the third element of worship, which is thanksgiving. And what I essentially want to say about that is just this. It's a necessary part of worship when we recognize what God has done for us. So in one sense, I'm speaking to the necessity of thanksgiving, but in speaking to the necessity of thanksgiving, I, I want us to be able to understand three parts to it that we need to understand, first of all, what, clarify, what is thanksgiving? What's biblical thanksgiving as a part of worship? And, and then to recognize that there's something that biblical thanksgiving is saying about God. And then finally, biblical thanksgiving says something also about us. So understanding what thanksgiving is, what does thanksgiving mean as it really tells us something about God, what does thanksgiving mean as it tells us about ourselves? So that's the progression of our thought through the message this morning. I want us to realize that thanksgiving first and foremost as a particular aspect of worship is just simply the expression of gratitude to God for his acts of what we might call his steadfast love toward us, toward his people. Thanksgiving is an attitude and a response to God in light of his steadfast love toward us, his people. Now we find it in the Old Testament as a main part of worship. Thanksgiving as a main part of worship. Most of you know Psalm 100, especially in the King James, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, right? Well, verse 4 then tells us that we are to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Bless him and praise his name. Or consider our call to worship this morning, taken from that worship event where David is bringing uh, the ark back into Israel uh, out of its captivity and and. That, that call to worship that David gave begins by saying, oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. 
Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous acts. So the idea is that thanksgiving is, an, is, a, is a response, an attitude of gratitude to God for what he's done for us and for his people. And also in that passage, out of our call to worship, you look to verse 34 and 35. David says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us and deliver us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. This response and attitude of thanksgiving. Now, I have so much to say this morning. I recognize the time, so I'm already going to cut a little bit out here. But I would encourage you to move from 1 Chronicles 16 into chapter 17, even today, and read and note and look that the Scriptures promote our thanksgiving to God even when the word thanks isn't expressed. Because in the very next chapter, Nathan comes to David, and Nathan explains to David what God is going to do for, for David. And, and the prayer that David prays is titled a prayer of thanksgiving, even though the word thanks isn't there. But the attitude that's expressed as, as David notes what God has done for him, the attitude of, of thanksgiving is so prominent. It just reinforces the fact that thanksgiving is what our proper response should be in terms of what God has done for us, for his people. I'd also like us to realize that so often the concept of thanks and praise are linked together. Again, from a passage in Chronicles, King Hezekiah is, is reestablishing the worship that had been in disrepair in terms of the temple during his reign. And what he does is he appoints priests and Levites to get back to what they're supposed to be doing, what they had been doing about three centuries earlier under King David. And in their duties, it says that he instructed the priests and the Levites to give thanks and praise. Their specific calling in worship was to give thanks and praise. Praise and thanks, thanks and praise. So often joined together because you thank God for the very things that you praise God for. You praise God for who he is and for what he's done, and therefore you thank God for who he is and for what he's done. The difference is, Praise is adoration, and thanks is that sense of gratitude. We should also see the Old Testament, and certainly the New Testament as well, indicates that this, this, this attitude of thanksgiving and gratitude on the part of believers is something that is expected of those who've experienced the goodness and grace of God. Psalm 33, verse 2. We're told, shout for joy in the Lord, O you his righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Or Psalm 79, verse 13. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. So, it's an attitude that's expected of us. If we understand who God is and what he's done for us, then 
it ought to evoke in us a sense of gratitude. And so it's, it's obvious that when we come to worship, this should be what is inside of us, what we should be experiencing, what we should be thinking, how we should be feeling. In the New Testament, it's pretty much supposed to be part of the character and characteristics of Christians that they're thankful. And Paul draws a very sharp contrast in this in Ephesians 5. Verses 3 and 4, he says, But sexual immorality and impurity, covetousness, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving. The kind of stuff that you used to enjoy as a non-Christian, the kinds of things you used to revel in as non-Christian, let that all be replaced by this, thanksgiving to God. That's a pretty radical 180 degrees kind of change. Paul says the same thing in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, I'm going to stop for a moment and just say, when, when my son Bobby called me this morning and prayed for me as he does every Sunday, prayed for us, prayed for the congregation, prayed for the message, I said, Bobby, it's important that everyone understand that each of us, that I myself, were pilgrims and understanding what it means to worship God and to grow in our understanding of worship. I said, I, I don't want anyone to think that somehow the messenger has mastered this pilgrimage at all. In fact, before this sermon, beginning back in early no November, I was asking God, not even knowing I was going to be preaching this way this month. Um, would you teach my ungrateful heart to be thankful? Because I realized that if you were to ask, if you were to look at this man and say, is he a joyful Christian? This was leading up to the time that R.C. Sproul passed away. R.C. Sproul was considered a joyful Christian. Immense intellect. Joyful Christian. Why? An incredibly thankful man. An incredibly thankful man. And in my struggles, I realized the numerous discontents I have about life. I realized, what's going on in me? You have lost sight of an important biblical truth. Your life is called to be a life of giving thanks to God. So, so I'm a pilgrim with you in trying to understand this more deeply. Uh, trying to see what God is saying to us as believers. So that, that we might realize that this, this, this character of thanksgiving should more deeply characterize us
Why? Because it glorifies God. Psalm 69.30, I will praise God's name in song and glorify Him with thanksgiving. And giving God glory is our ultimate purpose. But I want us to consider that in order to get there, in order for this pilgrimage in, in my life, your life, to move forward, we have to understand what does thanksgiving actually say about God? Because that's what's chief, that's what's important, that's what's primary. What does thanksgiving say about our understanding of God? What does it say about who God is? Only then can we have the right motivation to give God thanks. One of the most important biblical truths about God is that he is to be credited for all good whatsoever which comes to us and comes our way. Never luck. <laughs> Never even our own hard work and effort. Here's the biblical truth about God. The Bible teaches us that God is comprehensively the giver. He is the provider. He is the supplier. He is the sustainer of all that we have and all that we do. That's why we read in James chapter 1, verse 17, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. When something wonderful happens in your life, shame on us if we say, good luck. It was good luck. But also, shame on us if a non-believer says to us, boy, how lucky you are. Because our response should say, no, luck has nothing to do with this at all. Every good and perfect gift has come from the Father of lights. This has come from the Father's own hand to me. He's been gracious and kind to me. This has come from the hand of God. The Apostle Paul also uh, emphasizes this, and he emphasizes this in order to stop us from being competitive and disputing with one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, verse 7, he's concerned that people boast in themselves, boast about things that they themselves accomplish or do. He says, for who makes you different from anyone else? He's challenging the notion that somehow you have made yourself the best man, the best person, the best at this, the best at that, that you have done this yourself. He's killing pride, which is very different than our culture today, which seems to say you're nothing if you don't have a lot of pride in yourself. You're nothing if you can't put yourself first. You're nothing if you ever let anyone else get first place in front of you. But Paul says, who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? The answer is nothing. Everything you have was given to you. And he goes on to say, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Now, he's speaking to Christians. We can be tripped up in our pride. We can think that 
we've done it. Paul's saying that we need to see that it's God's total hand in our successes. And any good outcome that ever comes because of our effort, we really can't take credit for it. I had a conversation with someone recently who's doing quite well and said, I just have to credit my wife and I just really have to, look, I put in a whole lot of hard work on this. And, uh, and he said, oh, yeah, in the Lord. <laughs> Uh, at some point, I'm going to have a conversation with him and <laughs> help him to understand that it was the Lord <laughs> who blessed you with a good wife. It's the Lord who blessed you with the ability to do all this good work. And Carrie, you can laugh because you know this man. <laughs> His, her cousin. Now, but Paul, I want you to know, did not teach this as some new insight that comes about in the New Testament. That it's all of God, and our successes are all of God. It's a big warning back in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses warns the Israelites that when they come into the land of milk and honey, the promised land, when everything is going to be so incredibly good for them, there's a big warning, verse 17 and 18. He says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. But perhaps the, the strongest statement of this is uttered by Job. In the first part of his calamities, on the day that he loses most of his wealth and all of his children, chapter 1 of Job, 2021, first chapter, Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. He said, naked, I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, this truth about God makes makes us all true. What makes what's so important about this is the recognition that it's God's complete sovereignty over all of creation that's being recognized and acknowledged in our giving God thanks. To say thank you to God is to recognize that God is the God, as Paul says, who works out everything according to the counsel of his own will. Which is why the exhortation is given to us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that we are to give thanks in all circumstances. Not necessarily for all circumstances. I'm glad for the preposition there being in and not for. I'm not always thankful for the circumstances that come, but recognize that in, in their coming, they fall within the framework of a God who works out everything according to the counsel of His will, and He is a good God, a wise God, and a God who has loved us with a steadfast love that can never change. But we thank God because He's sovereign. We thank God because He is the God who gives and takes away. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. So in that light, what does it mean to really thank God? It's to credit God as the source and provider of all things. It's that, that's why we give him thanks. For instance, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. The daily bread there represents all of the things that we need for life in this world. And the idea is that we give thanks then to God because he has provided for us all that we need. We don't believe in luck. We don't really believe it's our own efforts. Uh, Why would we say, give us today this daily bread if we thought we were the ones who went out and made made it all happen. But as Christians, we can't believe that way. We ought not to believe that way. We ought to be able to say, whatever I've done, it's God who has, in fact, done it in and through me. That's why the Apostle Paul's testimony in 1 Corinthians 15 is so very, very important. He's telling the, the Corinthians there, as he speaks about Christ, the gospel, the resurrection, and he speaks about the other apostles, he says something very interesting. He compares himself to them And at first, it looks like, in comparing his efforts with theirs, that he's about to boast, that he's about to brag. Because he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Paul would not and could not take any effort for the fact that his apostolic efforts accomplished more than that of the other apostles. Because if he took any credit, it would detract from the honor and glory that belonged to God. This is why we're called to have hearts that are thankful and grateful, full of gratitude. God's the provider. God is at work to accomplish his purposes through us. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. That is why we cannot boast except in Christ. I feel like a surgeon cutting out the heart of what I want to say right now. I'm going to move to the the last point. What does Thanksgiving say about us? Thanksgiving is a proper, grateful heart to God for what God, for who God is and what God has done. We we thank God because He's the sovereign provider of everything. What does Thanksgiving say about us? In our culture, uh, we automatically say thank you. It's a basic rule of politeness. Uh, When we've received any kind of help or any kind of service, uh, we will automatically say thank you. Uh, Even if it's service that we have purchased, spent money on, things we paid for. Uh, We do it, we say thank you to people, even when we know that the very thing they're doing, we are paying them to do it. You know, like... Like the waiter or the waitress that brings us, you know, more water. Or even as we're, you know, <laughs> signing our credit card and we, we sign the receipt, we hand it to him, and then we say to the, the server, thank you. And of course, he's thanking us. You should. <laughs> but, 
But we do this. It's, 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 we, we say thank you to people even when what they're doing for us isn't voluntary at all. It's one thing for a stranger to open the door for us and we say thank you. But then, like I said, the waiter, you know, we're purchasing his work, but we say thank you. Now, why? Because that kind of language is what we might call a form of politeness. Um, I was reading some information about this, and it's really described as a kind of social lubrication. Uh, it makes the machinery of society operate more smoothly when people are polite with each other rather than rude. No question about it. Politeness. Thankfulness as politeness has nothing to do with thankfulness toward God or being thankful as Christians. We're not saying in any sense that a Christian who is thankful to God is being polite toward God. This is not some kind of social etiquette or spiritual lubrication in our relationship with God. Rather, if we're worshiping God and the giving of thanks to God, it must flow from how we see ourselves in our relationship to God. And this is the perspective. We need to see ourselves as completely beholden, completely in debt to God. This indebtedness is with respect to everything. We need to see that we are completely dependent upon God and His mercies toward us. The Old Testament and the Psalms make this point again and again and again, coupling together steadfast love and and God's steadfast love toward us and thanksgiving. In Psalm 107, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 8, Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love. We, we, Psalm 136, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for His steadfast love endures forever. It's it's a concept in which we recognize we're completely dependent upon God. Because the steadfast love is translated as love, it's translated as mercy, it's translated as loving kindness. It means that everlasting love of God by which He is totally, totally gracious toward us. That is to say, it's a love that we have no inherent claim upon. Nothing in us by which we can say, God, you ought to love me this way. It's the love that God has for us is beyond a fair and reasonable expectation based upon who we are according to what is just and according to what we really deserve, this love, no, you can't expect it. You can't expect it at all. But God has chosen to love us this way. 
even though we are not in any way whatsoever worthy of being loved this way. And therefore, we're completely indebted to God. So our thanksgiving toward God is really the index, it's really the indicator of how completely do we see ourselves indebted to God. You know, those who think that they somehow are justified before God by virtue of their own works, why would they ever say thank you to God? Hey, I know you're going to let me into heaven because I've earned it. Right? But notice what Paul says. He puts the principle of indebtedness to God this way, Romans 4. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Verse 4. But to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as what is owed. There's the principle. Hey, if I save myself by my works, God owes me salvation. But those who clearly see their salvation as coming completely out of the grace of God do not see God as owing them anything. Rather, as Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. This isn't what God owes me. It's a gift. It's a gift. Not in response to or as a result of my works, so that no one may boast. From beginning to end, folks, Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good, unto good works, which He, God, has prepared in advance for us to walk in them. Genuine thanksgiving is the deepest recognition that God has saved us and not we ourselves. We are so deeply indebted to God for this reason. Because it is He who has translated us out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His own beloved Son. Years ago, years ago, you know, why am I struggling with this this past fall when years ago I read this wonderful statement, how do we become more thankful? And it was either Dr. J.I. Packer, one of those great guys who just writes such great stuff, and Dr. Packer said, uh, you'll become a more thankful person as you every day thank God truly for your salvation. Thank Him, not yourself. Thank Him, not yourself. So every day, you know, how, how do we become more thankful? Every day, thank God for your salvation. Every day, give God thanks that he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Every day, give God thanks that he has delivered you out of the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. Every day, give thanks that in Christ you have redemption, the forgiveness of your sins. Every day, give thanks to God that he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Every day, thank God that he chose you in Christ from before the foundations of the world. Every day, 
Thank God that he has predestined you in love in order to be adopted as his son, that he has lavished the riches of his grace upon you at the cost of the blood of his son. Thank God for your salvation. Thank him that it is to the praise of his glory according to his eternal purpose by which he's worked out everything according to the counsel of his will. This is what our thanksgiving is anchored to. That God did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. And at that greatest of cost, willingly giving us all things. So, what place does thanksgiving have in our lives? It's the extraordinary purpose of the ordinary Christian to be able to give God glory every day. And a heart that knows its debt to God and a heart that feels its debt to God will be a heart that gives thanksgiving to God, to his glory. Amen. Father, we do pray that you would be working in us all that is pleasing to you. That the good work which you have begun in us, you will carry it on to completion. And that in that good work, we would find our hearts drawn more strongly to that of giving you all glory, all grace, all thanksgiving for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.